I'd like you to open your Bible to the book of Revelation, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read those verses, then we're going to come back, come back and, and, and uh, make some comparisons to it and some other books in the Bible and talk about probably the best way to understand it and then look at these verses together. So we read, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. The first thing I want to do this morning is to give you a contrast between the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation. Of course, you know, Genesis is the book that tells us how it all got started. Well, the book of Revelation is the book that tells us about how God's going to bring it all to an end. In Genesis, we find the creation of the heavens and the earth. In the book of Revelation, we are introduced to the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. In Genesis, we are introduced to the beginning of man's struggle with sin and Satan. And in the book of Revelation, we find the end of sin and Satan. In the book of Genesis, we are introduced to the first lie, the first murder, the first rebel, the first polygamist, the first drunkard, and we could go on and on with the series of firsts, but in the book of Revelation, all such things are banished from God's presence. In the book of Genesis, we are told of the rise of a kingdom which was built in opposition to the kingdom of God, and it also opposed God's people at one time in the Bible. It was the kingdom of Babylon, which result, Babel, which resulted in the kingdom of Babylon. And in the book of Revelation, we're told of the doom of Babylon. In Genesis, we learn of the first city, which was Babel, which was ever built by man. But in the book of Revelation, we find the city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In Genesis, we are introduced to sorrow, death, pain, and tears. And in the book of Revelation, God wipes away all tears and sin and suffering and pain and death are no more. It's a wonderful contrast between those two books that form either end of this great book of the Bible, which I believe is a very practical book, and I hope this morning you begin to see the book of Revelation as a very practical book as well, a, God, a book that God wants to use to speak to your personal circumstances today, to the circumstances of the church as a whole, and to the circumstances that we face in our world. The second thing I want to do is I want you to help about, I want to help you think about the comparison between the book of Exodus and the book of Revelation. Maybe you've never put any thought to that. But behind every book of the Bible, there's a story. And the story that's going on behind the story frames the book itself. 
So behind the story of the book of Exodus is the suffering of God's people who were slaves in Egypt. Uh, the book of Exodus is all about God's plan to deliver them and to bring them to himself and to the promised land. There's also an enemy of God in the book of Exodus. Now there's an enemy of God's people from the very beginning, the serpent, the, 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 the dragon, Satan, who's in the first book of the Bible is done away with in the last book of the Bible, but he often appears in other books of the Bible personifying himself in some human personality. And in the book of Exodus, that human personality was Pharaoh. And in order to free God's people from their suffering and slavery in Egypt, God is going to send a series of ten judgments upon Pharaoh and his kingdom, each one increasing in intensity. But God's people in the book of Exodus are protected from these judgments, especially from the final judgment. And the way they're protected from the final judgment, the ultimate judgment was they were to take the blood of a lamb and place it on the doorpost of their house. And then the, 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 the threat of death, the threat of judgment would, would be banished from their lives. They would have no harm. And so in the book of Revelation, there is a similar story behind the story. The story behind the story is the suffering of God's people. The story behind the story is an, a personality who rises up as God's enemy in the story, who does Satan's bidding, who persecutes God's people. We see that, and so that's why the book of Revelation, you can lay it over your own personal circumstances today. If we go to the very end of time, you can lay it over the circumstances at the end of time. So the book of Revelation is about God's plan to deliver his people, and just like in the book of Exodus, and to bring them to himself and to a place that he's promised. To do so, he is going to pour out a series of judgments on the kingdom of the enemy, but God's people... God's people are going to be protected from all of those judgments. And the way they protect themselves from those judgments is they place the blood of the Lamb. They wash their robes and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. In other words, they become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. This, If you're a Christian, this book is not meant to frighten you. You should never be afraid to open it and read it. It's meant to encourage you. And if you are not a Christian, this book is meant to call you to come to Jesus. Why would God want to call you? It's because he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus into the world to save you, to save you from the judgments to come, to deliver you safely to that golden shore. I believe every Bible is a practical book, and this book of Revelation gives hope to the lost and hope to the saved. It gets, gives hope to the present and hope for the future. You know, one of the things that you can't see always behind the scenes is how God is at work. I never knew that I would be the pastor of First Baptist Church in Loosedale, Mississippi. Never really had a desire to be the pastor of First Baptist Church in Loosedale. I was pastor of the Agricola Baptist Church down in the south part of the county when I was 25 years old. 
that was about four or five years ago, maybe a lot longer than that, 40 years ago, 42 years ago to be exact. And so when I, when I came to Agricola, I had the opportunity, and I can't tell you the whole story, to know Dr. Fred Mosley, who at the time was the, the pastor emeritus here, Dr. Fred Mosley was the pastor here when this building was built, finished up by Dr. Van Harden, who was both great men of God. Johnny Walker was the pastor here at that time. All three of those men I got to know and I respected and I, I knew of their love for the Lord. I had Dr. Fred Mosley come down to Agricola and, and do a, a Bible study for me. Just a, We had a January Bible study on the doctrine of redemption just he, he did it. He taught every night. He taught Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. We gave an invitation, and we had seven young people saved as a result of that. It was a tremendous time. But, but just to, to know that I'm standing here where these great men have preached in the past, but there's something else that I need to let you know. There's another great man who has a connection to this church that maybe you don't know about. His name was Ray Frank Robbins. Ray Frank Robbins, when he was a student at Mississippi College, just a young man, would often spend time at the home of Mary Evelyn Dorset at that time she would have been, and, and Jet Dorset when, when they were younger. And then he went on to study at Oxford University, and then he went on to New Orleans Seminary to be a professor at New Orleans Seminary, where he was my professor when I studied the book of Revelation. He taught us the book of Revelation. Now, did I know that when I was in seminary? No. Did I know that when I was at Agricola? No. I only found that out. I only put those details together after I came back here. And to me, those are just such exciting things as I see how God shapes the messenger to bring a message where he wants that message to be delivered. So I think that we've come to a divine appointment as we look at this book of Revelation. And so one of the things I learned when I was in school is that to understand a book, it's very important that you understand a little bit about the kind of literature that makes up that book. Let me explain. There are some books in the Bible, and we're talking now about the, the signs and symbols of apocalyptic literature, and I'll explain to you what that means. Actually, the book of Revelation, the title of it in the Greek is apocalypsis. We've talked about that word before, and it means the unveiling or the revealing. It's from which we get the word English word apocalypse, which the world has stolen from the church. It's a church word. It's a Bible word, apocalypse, and it's talking about the book of Revelation and the events in the book of Revelation. But in understanding any book of the Bible, it's important to understand the literature. Let me explain. For instance, the book of Numbers. You like to read the book of Numbers? What's the book of Numbers? You know what the book of Numbers is filled with? Numbers. That's what it is. It's about numbers. It's, if you read it, it's about how many Israelites are here and how many Israelites are here, how many are in this tribe, how many are in this tribe. And so it's a history book, basically. And is there anything spiritual in that book? Yes, there are some isolated spiritual stories in that book that you can see. But basically, it's just a book about facts. It's, it's a book that tells us stuff. There are other history books in the Bible like that. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. It gives us history, basic facts, information, and about how God is working in history. They're just history. That's what it is. 
And then there, there's poetry in the Bible. You read Psalms. Every Psalm is written with, you can't see it in English, but it's written with rhyme and meter, just like English poetry is written, only it's written in Hebrew. We can't see that when we read it in English, but it's there. It's poetry, and so there's some symbols in there. When it talks about God covering you with his wings, it doesn't mean that God has wings. It's symbolic language. It helps you picture the protecting power and the love of God. But then there are other books that are prophecy, like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And so we read those in different ways as well. Then we have the Gospels that tell us the story of Jesus. Then we have the book of Acts that tells us the story of the early church. And then we have the epistles that are basically, Paul sits down and he writes a letter to First Baptist Church in, in, in Loosedale, Mississippi to tell them what he wants them to know. But he didn't write it to Loosedale, he wrote it to Ephesus and he wrote it to Colossae and he wrote it, wrote it to Thessalonica. He just wrote to churches letters. But the book of Revelation is a different kind of literature entirely and it stands apart from all other literature in the Bible and it introduces itself by its title as the type of literature it is. It's apocalyptic literature. And apocalyptic literature made use of signs, and symbols and numbers and, and, and you have to understand the meaning of the signs and symbols and numbers to understand what the book means. Let me just give you one example. For instance, the number seven. The number seven is used 55 times in the book of Revelation. Well, to show you how it's used, there are seven churches. There are seven golden candlesticks. There are seven seals. There are seven stars in the right hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are seven spirits of God. There are seven trumpets. There are seven bowls with seven last plagues. There are seven lamps of fire that burn before the throne of God. There is a lamb that has seven horns and seven eyes. There are seven angels that have seven trumpets. There are seven peals of thunder. There is a great red dragon with seven heads and seven crowns. And there are seven mountains with seven kings. And the number obviously has a significance. And if you lose sight of the significance of that number, you miss the meaning of the book itself. But let's get to these verses now that we read earlier. The first thing that we see in verse 1 is that, that John tells us is that the book of Revelation itself is a message from God. It is a message from God. Look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him. This is a message that comes from God. It's a message that Jesus Christ is to deliver to a specific group of people. And it is the, the revelation, the word there is also apocalypsis, the unveiling, the unveiling, the uncovering of a mystery that was hitherto uh, undisclosed. And so when Jesus was asked about some of the events that are revealed in this book, Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 26, or verse 36, he said, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. But apparently, here in the book of Revelation, God has willed to disclose, to unveil, to uncover some things to the Lord Jesus Christ that now can be unveiled, uncovered, revealed, or the big word here is shown to his servants. So first, Revelation is a message from God. Second, Revelation is a message 
for God's people. In the book of Revelation, this word show is used eight times and is always a reference to divine activity. In other words, there are some things that you and I will not understand unless God shows us. Even as you read it, even as I read it, there, there, God has to show you. He has to reveal some things to you. How are things revealed by God? They are revealed by His Spirit. The Bible says the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You need to be shown some things by God. So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his bond servants. Now, I don't know why the New American Standard Bible chooses to use bond servants instead of just servants like most translations. The only thing I can think of is that as the translators were looking at this word, they understood that it meant slaves. It means slaves. It doesn't mean servants, just servants like I'm serving you. It means slaves. And that's how John viewed himself as a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. These slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ needed this message. Well, who are the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ? Understanding who these servants are tells you who the book is written to. It's written to the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. So who are the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, they are people just like John. He said he was sent and communicated it through his servant, John. John is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. These servants are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And against the background of their lives is suffering. They're going through some stuff. They're going through some hard times. And they aren't so sure that Jesus is with them. They aren't so sure that God is on his throne. They feel on occasion that they have been abandoned in their journey. And so here it is, this message from God. And so John writes to them, he says, about the things that will soon take place. You'll notice that there in, uh, in, in, verse, in verse 1. The things which must soon take place. This is an interesting little word in the Greek. Uh, it's the word tachyai, which it, tach, tach is the root word, tach part of it. It means speed. And by the way, it's the word from which we get our English word tachometer. You car guys will know that's the dial on your car. You ladies, probably you don't know what it is, but you got one dial that tells you how fast you're going. And then you got this other dial that just sits there and does this sometimes. It tells you how, how fast your motor's turning, the speed with which you're, the number, whatever, you know, revolutions maybe. But it's speed. And so the, the emphasis here is that this is going to take place not just soon, but with speed, with swiftness. What if... What John is telling us is that when all of these things begin to happen, they're going to fall one after another like a group of dominoes. It's all going to happen quickly. And so John is assigned to share this message. And so next, Revelation is communicated in a uniquely supernatural manner. It's different from any other book of the Bible. You say, Brother Eddie, what do you mean? Well, I'm just telling you this. When Paul sat down to write the book of Ephesians, he was in a prison cell. 
he was probably sitting on a rock, uh, maybe uh, uh, something else, I don't know, and he was talking to somebody else, and he was telling them what to write. He said, we need to tell the church at Ephesus about these things. We need to talk to them. We need to encourage them. We need to tell them about some things that they need to understand. But Paul didn't have an angel sitting on his shoulder telling him what to write. The Spirit of God was leading him, yes. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. The Bible tells us that. But this book of Revelation, you'll notice in this verse, in this verse 1, he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. Now, you probably think that the problem with John is that John saw angels everywhere. You say, well, you can go back to the Gospel of John and, and probably think that, you know, there are angels everywhere, in the, but they're not. If you look at the Gospel of John, angels are mentioned only four times in the Gospel of John. But the angels appear in 72 different verses in the book of Revelation. This is a uniquely uh, supernatural book because it's communicated in a uniquely supernatural manner. Now, it's also delivered to us by John as a, as a divine appointment. This is his mission. It's his last mission, by the way. When you begin to get as old as me, you begin to wonder, God, what is my last mission? What's my last assignment going to be? What's that going to look like? You may, may not be asking that question. John, by all, all those who study this book, believe we believe that John was somewhere in his 90s at this time. He's an old, old man. And he's writing this book. This is his final assignment. He's in exile on the Isle of Patmos. And one of the things he says to these people as he shares with them, he said, look, I need to tell you, if you look down uh, at verse 9, we'll skip down to verse 9 for just a moment. He said, I, John, your brother, he said, I'm your brother in the Lord. We, we share in this journey together. He said, I'm your brother, and I'm your fellow partaker in the tribulation. I'm walking this journey with you. Not only am I walking with you in the tribulation, I'm walking with you in the kingdom. We're living in the kingdom, walking in the kingdom. And he said, I'm also walking with you in this long-distance endurance journey of following Jesus. Eugene Peterson, who translated the, the Bible into that translation that, that some of you know as the message, Eugene Peterson defined discipleship in this way. He said, discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. It's a marathon journey of following Jesus. And John said, I'm with you in that journey. I understand where you are. I know the struggles that you're having. I'm in those struggles with you. And I have a message that's been given to me by God for you in your journey, in your struggle, in this moment of your life. And so this book of Revelation, as we look at it over the next weeks, is going to prepare you for the season in which you live. Now there's one other thing that you need to see. Here, verse 3 there's a threefold blessing. By the way, there's seven blessings in the book of Revelation. Seven blessings pronounced in the book 
Why would there be seven? You think that's an accident? No, it's not an accident. It's written that way. It's built that way. He says here, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear and those who heed the things that are written in this book. Which leads me to believe, believe not only is there a blessing if I read it and it means to be read aloud, not only is there a blessing from hearing it, which means don't hide from it because there's a blessing in what God wants you to know, but there's also some way to apply it to your life. There's a practical application because it's supposed to be obeyed. The book is supposed to be obeyed. That's what heed means. It means to hear and obey. I'm supposed to obey these words. And there's a reason for that because John says the time is near. The time is near. I've told you uh, over the last several weeks as we've looked at last things that there are two Greek words for time. One is chronos, and it means linear time. It's like the time on your watch. You're looking at your watch now, and you, the closer we get to 12, the, the more you say the preacher needs to be finished. I remember doing that, boys. I did that when I was your age. I'd look at my watch and hold my breath and try to make the time pass. That's chronos or chronology. That's the time on the calendar. That's not the word John uses here for time. He uses the word kairos, which means season. The season is near. The season. What season are we living in? If you've been outside lately, you know that we're living in summertime. Richard Harvey's going to sleep outside tonight. No, he's not. He doesn't like hot weather, and I always pick at him about it. He, that's what he told me. He told me earlier, Brother Eddie, you're probably going to sleep outside. No, it's too hot even for me to sleep outside, I told him. We know what season it is when we walk outside, but we also know the season is going to change in a few weeks. We know we, that in a few weeks we're going to walk outside and there's going to be a Christmas in the air, and we're all looking forward to that. But seasons are changing in our world. Seasons change. And it looks like the season has changed in our world. And we need to be ready for what God is about to do. And so that's what this book is for, is to prepare us for what God is doing in our world. It's to prepare you for the season that you're in, not just for the world, but for your season, in your personal journey. Because each of us has a personal journey as an individual. And our families have journeys and what God wants us to know through this book of Revelation is, no, I have not abandoned you. No, I have not forgotten you. Yes, I have a plan to deliver you, to bring you to myself, to bring you through this time. And yes, I am still on my throne. I am protecting you. And the best thing that you can do is make sure that the blood of the Lamb is over the doorpost of your heart. Make sure that your robes are washed white in the blood of the Lamb because that's what's going to give you protection, my protection. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say unto the Lord, My rock and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. That's the message of this book. That God's protection is over us. That God's power is in control of every circumstance that we might face. And the greatest need in your life today, if you've never done it, is for you to follow Jesus, for you to become a disciple of Jesus, for you to trust Jesus 
as your personal Savior. Abby shared a little bit in our early service this morning, and one of the things that she said that got my attention, she talked about a witnessing class that uh, she was teaching and leading in Centrifuge, and she said she had some people, a small group of people who came to be a part of that witnessing class to, so they could learn how to give their testimony. And about four of them at the end of the week decided, I came to learn how to share my testimony, but what I learned was I don't have a testimony because really I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. And that's what I need to do. If that's where you are, that is the most important thing that you need to take care of, and you need to do it today. Let's pray.